A few years ago, I read about a man who had his funeral before he died. He wanted to know what was going to be said about him when he did die. I suppose that all of us at times are curious as to what will be said when we die. We were discussing that one day and someone asked me, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And I said, well, when I'm lying there in my casket and the people come by seeing me lying there, I hope someone says, look, he's moving. (laughs) There's always a question as to what happens when we die. In fact, Job asked the question, if a man die, will he live again? In the pagan world, there was no hope of life after death. There was an ancient grave found of a pagan some years ago, and inscribed on the tombstone were these words, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. And that speaks of the hopelessness of the person without Christ. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had some disagreement as to what happened at death. And the Bible says, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the Sadducees then believed that there was life after death, but the Pharisees did not. Now, the Thessalonians, and we continue our study today in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, they were concerned about their loved ones who had died, their Christian loved ones who had died. What happened to them? They also had another question. If Jesus came back, would those who died have any part in the return of Christ? Well, the Bible promises us that there is life beyond the grave. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So that was the promise of the Lord. He said, if I leave here, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will someday take you to where I am. Therefore, there is life after death. And that is the message of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. So today we continue our study from 1 Thessalonians, and Paul deals with this subject. Take your Bibles, turn with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, so you know the question of the Thessalonians concerning their loved ones who had died in the Lord. 
So there in verse number 13, Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed concerning this. Vine says the word uninformed means to be ignorant, not to know, not to understand. So Paul is saying here, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning the question that you have posed. And yet there is tremendous ignorance concerning what happens when we die. Some of you have seen some of the television programs where they have seances trying to contact those who have died. Then there are the cults. Some of the cults believe that when a person dies, that they go to sleep and they are awakened at the resurrection. Then there is the belief in reincarnation and so forth. So there are many beliefs as to what happens when we die. So the Bible then addresses the subject so that we are not ignorant, so that we are not uninformed concerning what happens when we die. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now, that was what Jesus said. He said that when we die then as believers, that we pass from death into life. You know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, good friend of Jesus, died. When he was ill and facing death, his sisters Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come and heal him. Of course, when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had already died. And so the sisters then were grieved, and so Jesus was comforting them. He came to comfort Martha, and in John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So that was the promise then to this good friend of Jesus concerning their brother. He said he will live even if he dies. Paul repeated that in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. He said, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul says, if Jesus rose from the grave, then why would you say that there is no life after death? So Paul begins here by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning what happens at death because the Spirit continues. Now he moves to the coming of the Lord concerning this in verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, I have mentioned to you that in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, in every chapter, he mentions the return of Christ. He connects it to salvation in chapter 1, the return of Christ and salvation, chapter number 1. He connects it to service in chapter number 2. Jesus is coming again, therefore we serve. In chapter number 3, he connects it to stability. We have stability as believers because Christ is coming again. And here in chapter 4, he connects it to the sorrow that comes when our loved ones die. So there in verse number 14 says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So he is speaking there 
about the death of Jesus, and we are familiar with the death of Jesus, that he was crucified, that he died on the cross, that he took all of our sins upon himself. The Bible says the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, they were placed on Jesus. So at the cross, Jesus died. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? It's death. And so Jesus then paid for our sin. So Jesus died, the Bible says, and he rose again. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. As a matter of fact, that's what we celebrate every Lord's Day. That's what we celebrate every day, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. He is a living Savior, and so we celebrate the resurrection. Now, he says in verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Those who have fallen asleep. Uh, the word sleep that is used there, of course, is a euphemism. And it is speaking, when it's talking about at death we fall asleep, it is talking about the physical body. That when we die, the physical body sleeps. James said, the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. So when we are talking about the sleep of believers, we are talking about the body, the physical body. So when we die then, the physical body sleeps. One commentator said, at death, the spirit leaves the body and the body goes to sleep and no longer functions. So that's what happens at death. We know that. That at death, the body sleeps. It no longer functions. It dies. But the spirit of man continues to live. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So according to the Apostle Paul, he says that when we die, the body sleeps and the spirit is at home with the Lord. So what happens to the believer? When we die, our body sleeps, but the spirit continues. So we are comforted. Verse number 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. So this is our comfort. What Paul is saying, he's trying to comfort the Thessalonians there, and therefore he comforts us. You know, when he began, he says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. He did not say that we do not grieve. If you lose a loved one, if a loved one dies, there is a loss. And so there is grief. There are some of you who have lost parents, some of you who have lost mates, some of you who have lost children. And so there's grief, there's an emptiness in your heart. But, Paul says, that we do not grieve, what? As those who have no hope. We grieve, yes, but we have hope because of the promise of God's word. What is it? That Jesus is coming again. First of all, with the saints. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. When Jesus comes back, this is the comfort. When Jesus comes back, he is bringing back with him those who know Jesus who have preceded us in death. See, the Thessalonians were concerned. What about my loved ones who have died? What about those members of my family who have died? Jesus said you are to be comforted. Why? Because when Christ returns, he is bringing with him those who have died in Christ. If Jesus were to come today, that would mean then for me that my mother, my father, 
my brother, my sister, my loved ones who have died in Christ are going to come back with him. That would mean for you that, that your loved ones who know Jesus, if Jesus were to return today, that he would bring them back with him, that they are there with him. And when he comes back, the scripture says that he is going to bring them with him. So he is going to return with the saints and then he is going to return for those saints who are still here on earth. In verse number 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So Jesus then is going to return, and this is his comfort. He says, you are to be comforted by this. What happens to my loved ones when they die? He says, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. When the Lord comes back, they come with him, and he is coming for those who remain, who know him. So the coming of the Lord then is our comfort, he says, in death. And then he goes on to those who are dead in Christ in verse number 16b. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. The idea of a resurrection has always been mocked by the unbeliever. You know the story in the book of Acts when Paul was in Athens and he was speaking to the intellectuals of, of, uh, of that community. And as he spoke to them, he spoke to them about resurrection. And the Bible says in Acts 17.32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Some began to mock. So as Paul was there in Athens and he began to talk to them about the resurrection that would take place, the Bible says that they began to mock. But the scripture indicates there are two resurrections in the future. There is the first resurrection, which is to life in verse number 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now that is a resurrection to life. The first resurrection comes when Jesus himself returns and only involves those who are saved. Now, the word himself, the Lord himself, in the Greek is prominent and emphatic. The Lord Jesus is going to return. Five or six years ago, I was invited to a meeting at the White House, and I thought, well, I, I will go because probably President Bush wants to hear something from me. He wants to learn something from me, and, and uh, I was willing to go and tell him what was on my heart. But when I got there, the president wasn't there. It was some representative of the president, and I sat in there um, Aggravated because I was planning on sharing with the president. And I, and he, I don't even know who the guy was, but he was in there and he spoke to us and we had an opportunity to speak with him. But it says when Jesus comes back, emphatic, prominent, it's going to be Jesus who comes back. At this coming, it is going to be the Lord himself who is coming back. And Paul describes what's going to happen in this resurrection to life. He says, first of all, that there is a shout in the Greek, that means an authoritative command like military officers give their subordinates. In other words, this is going to be a shout of authority. When Jesus comes back, it is going to be a shout of power. This is the word that was used when Lazarus was called forth from the grave. The Bible says in John eleven forty three, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come 
forth. And because he cried out with a voice of authority, it was Jesus himself speaking. And the Bible says when he cried out with a loud voice, with the voice of authority, that Lazarus came forth from the grave alive. With a loud voice. And then he says, and with the voice of the archangel. That is interesting to me uh, because the angelic hosts are going to join in this celebration. You know, when Jesus was crucified, the angels were on the sideline. I mean, they did nothing. They watched Jesus crucified. They watched him die. They watched him suffer. Now, you know the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. Why? Because prophecy was being fulfilled. Because Jesus was dying according to prophecy. He was dying for the sins of man. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the angels stood by. They were not involved. They did nothing. They simply watched him die. But folks, it's going to be a different story when he comes back. The angels are going to join in the celebration. And you talk about jumping and dancing and singing and celebrating because the King of Kings is coming back and the Lord of Lords is coming back. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Jesus, the Lord God. He is coming again, and the Bible says that there will be a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God will sound. The trumpet announced those things that were significant, those things that were important. And when the Hebrews gathered to march around the walls of Jericho, the Bible says that that they blew the trumpets, and when the trumpets were blown, the walls came tumbling down. The Bible says when Solomon was anointed as king, that the trumpets blew. Blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. And folks, when Jesus comes, the trumpet is going to blow. Steve, you've been practicing on your trumpet. Steve doesn't play it, but you ought to practice on it to announce something significant every once in a while. When Jesus comes back, there will be a loud voice, the voice of authority. The angels are going to participate as they celebrate his return. And the Bible says that the trumpet will be blown. So the first resurrection is a resurrection to life. When he comes for those, the dead in Christ shall rise. The second resurrection is a resurrection to judgment. Warren Wiersbe wrote, just before God ushers in the new heaven and earth, there will be another resurrection. This is called the second resurrection or the resurrection of judgment. So there are two resurrections in the future, resurrection of life, resurrection of judgment. Between the two resurrections, there is a tribulation period and the thousand-year reign, the millennial reign. So there are the, the, these two events between the two. And it's a resurrection to judgment. Now, the question might be in your mind, well, will Christians be judged? Are we going to go through judgment? The answer to that is yes. Because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul is writing here to believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want you to listen to me really carefully here. Because I don't want you to misunderstand at least what I believe. Will the Christian go through judgment? Yes, but not for salvation. Now, we've already been judged for that. I found myself guilty and threw myself on the mercy of the court. 
I'm a sinner. And so I threw myself on the mercy of the court. And the Bible says that God extended his grace to me. So I'm not going to be judged for salvation. I've already been judged for salvation. Then what is the Christian's judgment? For what are you going to be judged? In my opinion, and uh, I mean, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. It's my opinion. I believe the Christian will be judged for his stewardship of his or her spiritual gifts. Now, God has given to you, if you're a believer, the Bible says that you have been given certain spiritual gifts. And your stewardship of those gifts, I believe that you and I will be given, will give an account for. And I think, to me, I believe that's what the judgment of the, of the believer is going to be. That we're, we're not going to be judged for salvation. We've already been judged for salvation. We're guilty. And so we were extended mercy. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what we have when we are saved is the earnest of salvation. And earnest means a down payment. It, and so what we received when we invited Christ into our hearts was the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our salvation. But here, our salvation is complete. Now, I've said to you before, and, and I think that it's an important idea or important thought. There are three parts to salvation. There is sanctification. I mean, justification. That's a legal term. It means that it happens at conversion. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, I am justified. It means that I have been declared not guilty. So, I am saved at that point from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to hell. You know, I'm not going to hell. Yeah, I told you the story about the woman who said I was, but I'm not going to hell. Not because I don't deserve it. I'm not going because of what Jesus did. All right. So justification happens at conversion. I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is the process that we go through becoming more like Jesus. And I am in the process of being saved from the power of sin. And then when I see Jesus, I go to be with Jesus. I am There's glorification, I am saved from the presence of sin. So here, my salvation is complete. Justification, sanctification, glorification. So there is the resurrection to judgment. The believer is going to stand before the Lord, the beam of seat of Christ. He's going to stand before the Lord and give an account, I believe, of his stewardship of his gifts. The lost person is going to be judged as well. The person without Christ is going to stand before the great white throne judgment. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. Then he says, as we continue here, he says in verse number 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now the word rapture, you hear the word rapture used a lot today. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but that is the literal meaning of the word caught up. So he says that we shall be caught up. The Latin word means to seize, to carry off, and from this we get the word rapture. Now what does that mean? Kenneth Wiest has done a study of this caught up rapture, this word. And uh, he has listed several things that it means. He says, first of all, it means to catch away speedily. The rapture, caught up, means to catch away speedily. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, you see this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, speedily. Not even a batting of an eyelash, but the twinkling of an eye. 
at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So it means to catch away speedily. You know the story in the book of Acts about, about Philip. There was a revival going on and then he was sent down to, to share the, the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he went down to share the gospel with him. And as he did, he talked to him about Jesus. He talked to him about baptism and so forth. And the eunuch said to him, said, there's water over here. He said, why, why, don't, why don't we get baptized? Why don't you baptize me? And so he baptized him. And then the Bible says in Acts 8, 39, and when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. That's the word, snatched away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. So what does it mean, the rapture caught caught up? What does that mean? It means to catch away speedily. And then we said it means to seize by force. To seize by force, why? Well, because the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we are not always eager to do what God wants us to do. You recall in the Old Testament when God was going to judge Sodom, and so the angels went to Lot and told him about the judgment that was to come. And in Genesis 19:16 it says, but he hesitated, Lot hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Now, we act like we're all excited about the Lord coming back today, but the truth is we probably are not really that excited. Most of us are probably not that excited. I told you about preaching on the second coming one time, and my daughter came down when she was just a little girl, and she came down and sat in my lap. She said, Daddy, you, 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 you preached today about the Lord coming back? Yes. Well, I want him to come back, but I was really planning on going to college. Well, there's some you say, I want the Lord to come back, but I'd really like to know who wins the open today. Or I'd like the Lord to come back, but, you know, I mean, we got a wedding planned. Or we have a grandchild coming or something. I mean, we got all these things. So sometimes uh, the Lord has to seize us and take us. And then it means to claim for oneself. In Matthew chapter 25, the story is told about the bridegroom who came for his bride, which is a picture of Jesus coming for his bride, the church, and to claim that that belongs to him. It means to move to a new place. So when the Lord comes back, we are going to, to move from here to be with him. It means to rescue from danger. Now, the question is always asked by those who study the Bible, will believers go through the rapture? I mean, will, they, will believers go through the tribulation? Are, are we going to go through the tribulation? And there are some godly people who disagree on this, who believe that we will. Some believe we will not. Personally, I do not think we will. Uh, might be wrong, but uh, I, I, I don't think that we will. For instance, if you look over at chapter 1, verse number 10, he says, To wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then you look at chapter 5, verse number 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the word means to rescue from danger. And personally, I do not think that the believer will go through the tribulation. But again, that is an interpretation. Then he says we'll be with the Lord. Verse number 17. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, when the Lord comes back, it's going to be a glorious meeting. We will have glorified bodies. We'll meet our glorified Lord. It's going to be an everlasting meeting. The Bible says that we will be forever with the Lord. It's going to be a time of reunion. It says that we will be together with them. Death separates us from our loved ones, but Christ reunites us. So the question is, are you ready for his return? There is a cemetery, a grave marker, in a British cemetery near Windsor Castle. These words are inscribed, Pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So the question for you today is, if the Lord were to come back, today, or you were to die today, are you ready? That's the thing that's really important. Not that we not that we totally agree on some of these points that I have made, but the question that is really important is this, are you ready to meet the Lord? That's really important. Our gracious Father, as we come to a time of invitation, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. And Lord, for those who are not ready to meet you, I pray that they would be today in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're here without Jesus, would you come today and commit your life to Him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.